This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the Deputy Editor for Yankees Magazine. Joining me right now from the home office of WFAN, we have uh, Sweeney Murdy, Yankees reporter. How you doing? I'm good, John. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for taking the time to do this, Sweeney. Mm-hmm, for sure. There's nothing going on with the Yankees we need to talk about, right? No, kind of kind of quiet day. I kind of like it this way. Nothing happening. So obviously, I figured we'd just get together because of uh, you know how little's happening. Just talk some Big Ten football and things like that. So sure. I think that's what our, our listeners want. But uh, in seriousness, though, obviously, Sweeney, I know that you are a regular listener of the Yankees Magazine podcast. So like everyone else here, you've heard me say this many, many times. But when a team has the start that the Yankees did this season, and by start, I mean, you're not even talking about a month. You're not talking about two months. You're kind of talking about three and a half months. It's not just what they did in that time. It's the cover that they bought themselves for the inevitable tougher stretch. And I think that's what you're saying right now. And and I saw you, uh, you know, you tweeted the other day, you can get frustrated about a, a difficult run for this team right now. And you can wonder if this is the real team. But why would you choose that? instead of thinking that the real team is the one that played 700 baseball for so long. Yeah, and, and even that's probably too far above realistic. Absolutely. There's something in the middle that is, uh, but it's a lot closer to all the, I, I guess here's what I come back to, John, is that, you know, it seems so often that, you know, we want to believe that the Yankees are never as good as their wins, but they're twice as bad as their losses. And and I understand why, because we think about this idea of postseason success and what, you know, that's really the end goal. And that every time the Yankees lose a game, it highlights a flaw because naturally you did something that, you know, you something that you could have done to win the game didn't happen. And so you're highlighting this flaw and there's this fear in the back of your mind that this flaw that came out on, you know, May 22nd or July 18th. That's going to come back, and that's going to be the reason you don't win Game Six of the ALCS or Game Four of the World Series or whatever it is. And I, I just I think it's a hard way to live. I think you have to understand that over the course of a baseball season, if you're good enough to win a hundred games, it doesn't matter how you got there. It doesn't matter what stretch you lived through that you weren't on the same pace as you were at other points in time. The fact is, you know, they're in your bank, you know, that, that goes in your bank account. You know, that's money you've earned when you win those games and that's there for you. So the reasons, uh, you know, they still have holes, no doubt about it, but they're still a really good team with a few issues. They have the ability to kind of solve, not solve, but attempt to fix. And we'll see if that whole puzzle gets put together in a way that, you know, is is better than what it looked like when you started. Um, 
And I, listen, I think, and we'll talk about it, I guess I'm sure, but I think we all know like where some of the problem areas are with this team. Uh, but it's important to remember how good they are too. And I think we just kind of forget that all the time. I think we focus so much on, okay, they lost today because they didn't get a hit with runner in scoring position at this particular time. And oh my gosh, they're going to lose the World Series because of that. You know, how about all the times when they just blasted through people and good teams too, mind you, um, and were able to, to, you know, score, you know, hit big home runs late and things like that. And um, uh, those are the things. It came up a little bit last night. You know, Glaber Torres hitting a homer in the eighth inning last night. You know, that, you know, that shows up. You know, Aaron Judge hitting, you know, walk-off hits. That shows up. Um, I think if there's one thing you found with this team is that even though they look, you know, we, we saw it in the Astros games. We saw it in, you know, against Scherzer. Even when they look like they're not going to hit at all, uh, or score at all, they've pitched well enough to stay in the game and got a big hit late in the game that kind of turned the tide a little bit. Now, the problem is they've lost most of these Astros and Mets games. So, you know, this is what I'm talking about, like this fear of what's going to come back and bite you in October. But I don't think it's that dire. I understand the problems, and I do agree that there are some issues, but you're still a good team, one. And two, you have time to fix them. And three it's a whole different game when you get to October and we'll see how good this team is. You have time to fix it. And obviously this is the ideal time to fix it in a lot of ways, both because, you know, there are still so many important games on the schedule over the next two months, but obviously we are at the trade deadline this week. Sweeney, I think the the key thing you said, there was one of the first things you said, which is, you know, you're always somewhere in the middle. You're always somewhere in the middle of your hottest point or your lowest point. And I think the thing to keep in mind for Yankees fans and again, I, I say this every year at, you know, if the team loses game two of the division series and suddenly fans are like, they're never going to win another game. And you're saying, yeah. well, yesterday when they won game one, you said they were never going to lose another game. So, <laughs> you know, obviously you're being ridiculous. But the thing is, if we accept on faith, which I think we should, that you're never as good as your best day and you're never as bad as your worst day. I think at least something that you need to point out here is that the Yankees best days this season we're about 700, 730 baseball. And the Yankees' worst days this season are about 500 baseball. Yeah. And yeah. so if you're between 730 and 500, that's where you want to be. I, I, and I think, you know, the biggest part of the problem is like you've you've gotten to 500 or so over the last month for like reasons that should scare you. Uh, you know, some of the starting pitchers look like they're tired, not performing nearly as well as they did early in the year. You've had some injury issues in the bullpen. You've had some underperformance from, you know, a, a, a certain portion of your lineup. And uh, yeah, the, like the, the pitching that carried you for a long time doesn't look as great as it did before. And you've got you know, you've got some legit concerns there. But I think, you know, I, I go into it all the time, like in the in regular season two, where any, anytime before a season you sit there and you say, well, here's our question marks. OK, is, is this person going to hit? Is this going to do this? One, two, three, four, five. These are our problem problem areas. I think we have to remember that. All five of those problem areas that you identify don't have to be answered in the negative. You know, some of them will turn out fine, and some of them will still be problems. The trick is to balancing that out. Listen, you can. Uh, the Yankees almost won a World Series in my first year in 2001 with the worst 
I think, the worst batting average of any team that would have won a World Series uh, because they got shut down by Johnson and Schilling, and they're still only a couple of defensive outs away from winning Game 7 um, with an abysmal offensive performance that needed a couple of – stop me if it sounds familiar because the Astros Series – that needed a couple of late home runs just to rescue you in some home games that you otherwise were going to lose to this team that looked like they were – that basically had won six out of the seven games that you played. So – um, I feel like, you know, there's there's always this thing that, you know, every issue we have is always going to be answered negative. Well, that's not necessarily the case. You know, listen, Aaron Judge is having a phenomenally special season. Garrett Cole's healthy, if not as consistent as you'd want him to be. However, I think overall he's pitched well and great is only going to be determined by what he does in October. It's so true. And look, we're recording this hours after uh, the team made the first move of the trade deadline in a sense, but, you know, getting Andrew Benintendi. And I don't think anyone thinks that's the last move. I don't think anyone has any real idea. I think, and again, God, I mean, I, I'm always repeating myself and I know it's driving you crazy because you listen to every episode and you're like, John, I hear you say this, stuff. but it's just, you have to remember with this stuff that of course, everyone wants the biggest piece, everything like that. But if you go back a year and two days ago from right now, did you think that the most crucial element of the 2021 trade deadline would be Clay Holmes? I think the reality is we just don't know exactly. First off, we don't know who is even on the Yankees board. We don't know who is on other teams' boards. And, you know, again, you go back a year ago, all I'm thinking about is, man, the Yankees addressed their biggest need with Joey Gallo. And, you know, some other random dude I've never heard of named Clay Holmes. You know, whatever. Anthony Rizzo, great. So, you want to judge these moves that happen. You want to figure out what it is. Let's talk in October. Let's talk in November, and we'll see. But the reality is, I think, and, and, and you could take what I'm saying with all the grains of salt you want because I'm saying this at my desk in Yankee Stadium, but I think if there's one thing that you know this front office has earned, it's the benefit of the doubt. And if you disagree with me, like let's, let's go talk about Matt Carpenter for a second or, or, or any of these things that just, you know, it's not – we don't know. We don't know what the right move is right now, but I think there's a lot of reason to believe that there are people making pretty wise decisions in that room as we speak. I think when you look at the over the like the deals that they made that they make on balance, I think you have to, you know, it's about understanding that, you know, you know, maybe just give them the benefit of the doubt they know what they're doing. And you can't tell me, like, I, I know that they haven't ended in a World Series championship, but that's, as far as, like, like you talk about, making a Clay Holmes trade or at the time they, you know, when they make when you make an Aaron Hicks trade and, you know, you get six years of an outfielder for a backup catcher who's, you know, who's, who's a fine person and player but isn't playing anymore, um, you know, those are... Those are the kinds of moves that, you know, uh, uh, you know, getting Michael King in the deal that they got. Uh, those are the kinds of deals that this organization has excelled at. Um, and listen, we'll see how it ends at this trade deadline. Andrew Benintendi is going to help. Listen, he's got a, you know, he's significantly uh, better contact uh, rate uh, than, than Gallo, who for whatever reason just hasn't happened here. And we'll see. Um, you know, where, he, how he rebounds, whenever he rebounds, wherever he rebounds. Um, it was, it was disappointing because a guy with lefty power in this lineup, in this ballpark should have been a guy where you say, wow, he's going to be a difference maker. 
and he just wasn't. So uh, you move in another direction, and you get you get more athletic. You get um, uh, a, a good hitting outfielder. Help balance out what I thought. You know, when you say like where are the problem areas, I think the lineup has been a little top heavy at times. So this will help balance that out. Um, when you get Stanton back healthy, you have another good combination outfield mix. When you're talking about uh, being able to play the outfield um, and and some guys who can hit. And I think that balances things out a little bit. Let's not forget, while the Yankees are going through this, they need to figure out how to get healthy too. Uh, Stanton makes a big difference. And as good as Glaber Torres is, I think you saw it a couple of times uh, where, you know, he's coming up in the fourth spot behind Judge and Rizzo, and it's different than Stanton. It just is. As good as Glaber Torres is, it's just different when Stanton walks into that box. So uh, getting him back healthy is going to be a big key here. Whatever moves they make here to add to a pitching staff that, you know, has, has you know it seems to you know uh running into a little bit of a roadblock and uh they need a little bit of a, a shot in the arm so we'll see how uh how they respond here the the front office usually and i think john i think one of the problems is that we've seen the areas of concern for i don't know a month or longer right and the concern is why aren't they acting on it now well because the market doesn't move that way the game doesn't move that way we see this every year you want to get somebody from another team, it has to be a willing partner. I'm even going to push back on that a little bit because this year in particular, I think it's going to be an absolute sprint on August 2nd because everyone needs to figure out what the Nationals are doing before they can do anything. And I think the Nationals are going to wait as long as possible. The, the reality is the Nationals are sitting there right now with potentially the best player ever to be traded that they yeah. might be trading. And I don't think if you're a general manager, you can figure out exactly how you want to play this deadline until you see that play out whether or not you're in on it and it might not happen so yeah. i think uh, you gotta you know you might have signals there which is why i think you know getting benintendi a week before yep. might be some indication that okay listen it's probably not going to happen and even if like there if there were chips that we had to use to get juan soto then maybe we know that those chips are going to have to be used to go get pitching help and we're better off just getting benintendi now and blah 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 i think it's going to be fascinating to see what happens there um, but you just have to understand the market moves. It doesn't move at your pace. It doesn't move at the pace you want it to. It moves at its own pace. And even though if you know in May that you need another outfielder, or if you knew in February you needed another, another outfielder, you might not be able to get them until July. And I think that's always been the case. And I think the reality is one thing we can say for sure, and obviously everything you say about prospects is hypothetical. You don't know. You don't even know how big leaguers are going to fare when they come to Yankee Stadium, as we saw last year. But in this Benintendi deal, Cashman definitely dealt from a strength, and I don't think he gave up anything that prohibits them from any other plans they have in this deadline season right now. So, I mean, you know, the reality is... It's very easy and it's fun and it's certainly exciting to get, you know, thrilled about prospects and to fall in love with the prospects. But if you look at the Yankees' top prospect list from three years ago, how many of those guys are currently at the top of the list right now? And they're just not. And so, you know what? That's why when you can do something like that and get a proven major league talent, do you want to lose the third round draft pick you made or fourth round draft pick you made a year ago? No, because it's fun to imagine what that guy can do. But it's also fun to imagine what Andrew Benintendi can do in Yankee Stadium. I'll even you know take this kind of trade talk a little bit further when you say, 
there's a trickle down effect to this. You know, last year the Yankees traded off a bunch of players, you know, the Gallo trade and the Rizzo trade, and they lost some of the guys. You know, so, some of the guys were good prospects. Some of the guys were also ones that they like in the Clay Holmes trade, for example, guys that they were going to have to protect and had they knock off the 40 man roster and make move. One of the guys they made room for in the 40 man is Ron Marinaccio, who has emerged as a really important weapon here. And especially with the Michael King injury, he's coming into play. You know, that's where. You know, you knock guys out of the system to turn over the next round of 40 men protectable guys. And, you know, J.P. Sears, I think, was another one. So you've gotten some contributions from those guys. That's kind of a trickle-down effect of the deals that you made last year. You were able to hold on and protect them because of that. And obviously, in this case in particular, I'm pretty sure T.J. Sikama needed to be protected this year. And look, then you're saying, is it better to turn him into Andrew Benintendi or to turn him into a 40-man roster spot. And look, maybe he turns out to be a remarkably strong major league pitcher. And I hope he does, of course, you know, whatever. But you are going to have to make that choice at some point. It's not as simple as, oh, man, I hate to see them give up, you know, prospects. He was a high-A pitcher. You know, you're projecting a lot on him at this point before you protect him from Rule 5 three months from now. So I think that you build the system the Yankees build and you and you create a development system, especially for pitchers, that the Yankees have built so that you can do this stuff. Of course you want to see all these guys thrive in the major leagues. Of course you want a rotation of five homegrown pitchers. I mean, everyone does. That's fun to think about. But it doesn't happen. But it's a myth. I mean, you know, listen, go back. Uh, uh, you've got, uh, you know, Cone, Clemens, Pettit, Wells, Messina, like all, you know, one homegrown. Okay, I mean, I, I mean, go just go back to '96. Okay, you know, Jimmy Key, Paul O'Neill, Tino Martinez. You know, I, I'll keep going. You know, people keep thinking about homegrown, homegrown. Like it's not homegrown. Okay, it's it's kind of there, there are pieces, but it's a myth to think that you build entirely a homegrown organization. One thing that I think stands out about this team right now, as they go through their first rough stretch, maybe of, of the year, number one. Man, when you see those eighth inning, ninth inning comebacks, does it then hurt when you go ahead and lose the game extra innings? Of course. But this team has a level of pluck to it still that I think is valuable in those October games. You know that there is a belief in that dugout at all times. And I think you also see, and I know that it's cliche and everything like that, but I mean, you could see it in the clubhouse last night in the the interviews after the game. And, And in a lot of these cases, I think there is leadership on this team that does not allow panic and does not allow overreaction. And I think you see that a lot during the course of the season, and you see it as much when the team is on a five- or six-game winning streak as when they're going through a three-and-seven stretch or whatever it is. It's important not to overreact, but it's okay to react. Mm-hmm. And I think you need to have, you know, sometimes you just have to have time to to react to it. They're, the Yankees are, you know, the Yankees have been pretty stable in their leadership, right? And Brian Cashman has been the GM here for 20 years. Aaron Boone is only the third manager he's ever had. And I think that lends itself to a patience because you kind of know you're here, right? Which is weird to say around Yankee land because you know, <laughs> it, it used to turn over like crazy and you, nobody could afford to be patient because they knew that everything was on the line now. And maybe that's to the detriment sometimes. I understand that that mindset when people say, you know, you, they're not on edge because they're not afraid to you know lose their job or whatever. But there's something in the middle of extremely patient and extremely impatient. And where you meet in the middle is how you succeed. It also depends on how you define success. And I understand around here you define success as winning the World Series. But there's a luck factor that you cannot 
just account for in in, in a lot of that. So, uh, and I'll even go back to when they went. You know, listen, the Yankees were were how many? What five outs away from being down to the Braves, three games to one, before Jim Leyritz hits a three run homer and uh, and helps bring them back. They're down two games to one and ninety eight to Cleveland, a really good team who just went to the World Series two of the last three years and has Mashers and Tommy and Manny Ramirez and all these guys. They're down two games to one in Cleveland, and uh, and they came back and won. Uh, you know, they're they're down two games to to one against Oakland in two thousand. Down two games to none against Oakland in two thousand one. There's 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 some luck that plays into that. So and even go back to twenty seventeen, they're down two games to nothing against Cleveland. So. Um, yeah, between believing in patience, believing in luck, you know, it, it's, it's not all, it's not all that easy to do. If it was easy, they just do it all the time. So I think that's a, a, a cool place to take a quick break right now. We're going to just pause for a little bit. And then when we come back, let's talk a little bit about, you know, some of the other things that you're seeing around baseball, around the Yankees, but also, you know, obviously Sweeney Murdy, star of stage and screen now, uh, <laughs> with, uh, his, performance uh, on the captain. So we definitely want to talk about that as well. So stick with us. Hi, this is Gleyber Torres. You are listening to Yankees Magazine Podcast. Hi, this is Aaron Judge. You're listening to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. Welcome back to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. Still here with Sweeney Murdy of WFAN. WFAN, who I believe actually just signed a new deal uh, to uh, continue with the Yankees, which is certainly great to hear. That is obviously the station you want your team to be on. And uh, it was exciting news. So it must make you happy as well. I hope so. Yeah, I hope that means a little bit. You know, it means we're on again. Uh, I, I, it's listen, it's great. We've been. I think this is our ninth year of having uh, Yankees baseball on WFAN, and and I've gotten to be part of the programming for that and the part of the broadcast, uh, different from my first thirteen years, uh, just in the reporter's role. Yeah, so it's um, listen, it's great. I I I work at the original, the first all sports radio station in the country. And it's still one of the biggest and best radio stations in the country. And uh, the fact that I've gotten to work here for you know almost thirty years and cover the Yankees for over twenty of them, yeah, it's it's been it's been pretty special. I'm glad that relationship continues. And we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that you are lucky enough to be teammates with a newly crowned uh, Hall of Famer as well, uh, which is super exciting news uh, and obviously well deserved for Susan. Radio Hall of Fame. Uh, the ceremony I think is November. Uh, Susan Waldman rightly honored. I heard her say in one of the interviews, you know, like something about affecting change. And certainly she has, you know, because, you know, she started WFAN in 1987 when, you know, it was hard for women in sports. And she persevered through a lot of that. And uh, now is just is one of the most respected voices on Yankees and baseball. I talked to an executive just yesterday who said, listen, I'm, you know, he, he listens to our broadcasts. I'm getting the final word on the Yankees when I listen to you and Susan, like that's what I'm listening for. And um, it's, it's cool to hear that. And Susan certainly changed the way it's presented on the radio and forget male or female. She just changed the way that it's reported on the radio. And I think that is what is, um, is deserving of the recognition in the radio hall of fame uh, and I'm sure one day, you know, Ford Frick Awards calling for both John and Susan. And, uh, you know, I'll be, listen, I know very well that I work with Mariano Rivera and Derek Jeter. I am pleased as hell to be Luis Soho. <laughs> 
That's great. So, look, you know, you speak about these guys, uh, and, and I was joking earlier, but the reality is if, if anyone, which I assume a lot of people are, watching the tremendous ESPN documentary, The Captain, uh, you, are, you, are, you are there, you're part of it. You have done a great job, of, as we've been talking so far in this episode, of talking about some of those years when Derek was running that clubhouse and the team was winning and everything like that. So... First off, what's that experience like for you? I mean, obviously, you know, you're familiar with the sound of your voice. You know, you've been around this team forever, but it's a little different when, uh, you know, you got the bright lights on your face and your uh, name under you on TV. It's different in the reaction that it gets because it's just appealing to a a different audience and a wider audience. And I, I think in some ways people, there are some people who just kind of forget or don't really understand what I do until you show up in something like that. Right. Like, um, like I'm in that show because I do what I do, not just, you know, because I've covered the Yankees for 22 years, including the last 14 years of Derek Jeter's career. So that's why I was in the show to begin with. It's interesting to to watch people's reactions to it because even people who kind of know what I do are kind of shocked and surprised when you, they see your face on ESPN and uh, you're in the middle of this giant production that's been promoted like crazy in every game that you're watching. And it just feels like this very big thing. And just as I tell you that, you know, I'm. I'm Luis Soho on our on our station and broadcast. It's fine. It's really cool to be a small part of something this big. And listen, I I Randy Wilkins called me last summer when he was putting this together, and uh, we sat in a studio in Manhattan for most of an afternoon and talked about a lot of different things. You know, if, if you haven't seen it yet, or if you're you know kind of waiting, I don't want to you know misinform you about my role here okay don't blink because you're going to miss me if you do uh i've got a line or two in every one of these and that's it's just cool to be a part of it's not called the reporter it's called the captain it's about him okay so i've got a couple of lines in this talking about some of the things that uh that have gone on around him and his career and it was just cool to be a part of well i look forward to your emmy for this one i think it's gonna be well deserved obviously i'm curious you know Look, I, I've been in one way or another around the Yankees clubhouse since 2003. You know, you've obviously been there a little bit longer than that, of course. But Not much. 2001, my first year. I kind of approached this whole thing wondering how much I didn't know about Derek Jeter that I actually care about. Because let me, let me assure you, there's loads that I don't know about Derek Jeter. But I was wondering how it would play out in ways that... I needed to or didn't need to hear. I, I wondered how open he would be. I wondered how interesting he would be. I'm curious for you as a guy who was there much more on a day-to-day basis, what were you looking to learn from watching this? What were you looking to be surprised by from watching this? Listen, he wasn't obscure, right? Like, right. You know, you're not talking about Moonlight, trying to find out a documentary, a seven-part documentary on Moonlight Graham, right? This is somebody who's well-documented. How much footage can you find, do you think, of Joe DiMaggio, like, uh, just at bats? What, 20, maybe 30? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've literally, I could literally find, if you gave me the time, I could literally find every single at bat that Derek Jeter ever took on, you know, because it was on television. And there's a certain pressure to that. And and forget about you, pressure, because it's been, all of that has been so well documented, it's hard to learn more about his career, you know, um, because we lived through it. I guess this is also something built for people. If you're a Listen, if you're a 25 or a 30 year old Yankee fan, there's a lot of Jeter's career you don't remember, yeah. didn't see at all. So 
Um, I think it's built for people like that too, not necessarily people who are old enough like us to have just lived through all of it. Um, and that's a nice, it's nice to kind of look back on. It is funny to me sometimes, and maybe it's just the old age part of it where you sit there and say, this doesn't feel like it was that long ago because I was an adult when that happened. I remember this wasn't my childhood. I was, you know, I was there in the 1996 world series working as a producer for WFAN. I saw Charlie Hayes catch that ball from where I was, you know, whatever, all of that stuff. Uh, I was in the locker room and doing all those things. So it, it's weird like that, but I, I'm kind of, you know, scattered on, on your original question here because I don't know. I kind of just want to see how they would tell his story because there's so much of his story that I already knew, but I guess, you know, at, at some point in time, you're trying to, you know, he was trying to insulate himself uh, and not maybe give out all the details of everything. So you're, you're learning more, a little bit more about his upbringing and his, family life then maybe he let on even though you knew some of the details you didn't know all of them uh the stuff you're gonna see you know uh thursday night uh, it's uh episodes three and four you're gonna see a lot of the alex rodriguez stuff and how that plays out and that's interesting i think because you know I think everyone went to a lot of trouble to kind of keep us from digging too much into it and kind of downplaying it. When you recognize now, when you hear what they're saying now about it, you're going to understand that they were simply downplaying it for their own sake, not because it wasn't necessarily true. And I think the way that I always try to connect this to, and by this, I mean, talking about those late nineties years and Derek Jeter in general to this current team is I think if there's one thing that I know from years in the clubhouse that I wouldn't know without it. It's how much of a skill it is to be cool, to be chill. And we talked about this before with, you know, don't panic, but also, you know, you know, panic a little bit or, or, or react, like you said. Yep. And I think the king of that was Derek Jeter, in a sense. Derek Jeter, whether he was putting on a show or whether he was just saying, you know, the right thing, the simple thing he was going to say, I always knew that Derek Jeter was the coolest person in the sport, in the sense of he was just even. He just knew how to control every single bit of his emotions. And I think that that is one thing that as you look to this team right now, even as it's having a rough week, two weeks, three weeks, whatever, there is a lot of cool in that clubhouse, which I think comes from number 99. And I think that there is just this sense of being in control and you know reacting, as you said, but not panicking. And I don't think that that is because you get lucky that you have guys with good personalities and, you know, an ability to keep an even keel. I think that is a learned skill that I see from Aaron Judge as much as I saw from Derek Jeter back then. And I think that that is just so much more valuable than I understood before I started working this game. He knew his entire career was being played out on television. It was right there every single day. Uh, and after the game, you know, listen, you see, you talk about players, people losing their cool, whether it's players or managers or coaches in other sports. Most of your famous clips of people losing their cool are post game, immediately after the game. You know, when a question about a bad loss or something like that sets them off and they're reacting with a group of reporters around them. It's always in that setting that's, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes after a game when a, a professional athlete, uh, you know, with a lot of pressure on him, it takes them a while to come back down from a game. When we go in after a game, it's a hard setting because it's raw. It's it's very raw. They're still coming down emotionally from a game when that they've invested several hours in 
when we are asking them questions. So there's emotion attached to it. And to detach that emotion when you answer is is an incredible skill like you talked about. Joe Girardi was like this, okay? And, uh, and listen, I like Joe Girardi. Uh, have a very good relationship with him. And I don't feel like I'm, I'm saying this as something that is like a, a knock on him. He had a hard time taking his foot off the gas in a post-game setting because he was still very much wrapped up in the game that he just got through. So when you saw tension in his answers, it was because... We talked to him 10 minutes after the game ended. If you had asked him those same questions the next day, which many times we did, you, know, you got a different version of it because he had time to come back down and you know and let the emotions subside. Jeter's skill is 10 minutes after the game ended, he was able to let up off the gas and understand that, okay, that's over. I'm going to tell you, you know, what I'm going to tell you in the way I want to tell it to you you know, maybe that was also part of his confidence because, you know, he's also one of the most remarkable people I've seen in that, you know, 0 for 4 team wins, happy as can be. You know, 4 for 4 team loses, eh, you know, but either way, I'm coming back tomorrow and I'm, and I'm going to do my job again. And that's something that I've asked Aaron a lot of times, actually, is what is that balance between, uh, you, you know, you go back to uh, the 2018 season, for example, and doesn't end well. Yankee seasons recently haven't ended well, but Judge had a pretty extraordinary year in a lot of ways. And so what amount are you allowed to enjoy that? What amount are you allowed to say, yeah, I, I did my job. Like, I couldn't yeah. have necessarily done more to make this team win. And I know I know what the answer is. I know what the right answer is, quote unquote, the right answer is. But I, I do think there needs to be some allowance for saying, I need to keep doing what I'm doing and the guys around me will work we're going to work but i can't do more in some ways and you always felt with jeter that there was that sense that and i think part of it is because he won so early so it was a little different that he just you know he tasted that so early that it was you know I, there are times that i'll speak to aaron judge and you know i've known aaron judge since he hit a home run in his first at bat and you just want to say sometimes like hey man you can enjoy this like you know you, you're doing your thing here and I, it's just it's just a different career trajectory and it's not because he's doing anything better or worse than Derek Jeter is it's just it's a different trajectory it's yeah it's and like I said there's a lot of luck involved in this you yeah know, was, for sure you know 2017 you know they they lost what a couple of one-run games in the first two games of that series in Houston you know you're 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 really one hit away from you know in game five against Tampa Bay in 2020 you're 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 literally one hit away from taking a lead and completely changing how you run your bullpen out in that game five against Tampa Bay. And then you can move on and who knows what, you know, this, uh, I just think, I just think we always think that it's easy to control whether you win or lose. And if you lose, then you've done something wrong and you need to be punished for it. And I just don't think it's always that simple. I, I you know, listen, the other, the other guys get paid too. You know, they, you know, there's a, there's a famous story that John Feinstein likes to tell about Dean Smith, uh, the great North Carolina basketball coach who went to, you know, what I don't even remember how many final fours he went to anymore. Won a couple of national championships. And uh North Carolina was playing a team that they that they probably should have beaten that wasn't, you know, highly ranked or small school or something like that. And a couple of minutes into the game, you know, they're 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 losing uh whatever it is, you know, like 10 to 4 or something. And they call timeout. And Dean Smith gets his players in the huddle and timeout and he says, the other that school gives out scholarships too. They're trying to win too. They're good players too. You and I are in different fields. You know, we we don't live in that competitive environment and and our wins and losses are are, are measured differently. So we don't think the way those guys think. And I 
I, th I think our best goal is to try to understand how they think and why they think and relay that to fans. But I, I don't think we're ever fully going to get there for those reasons. And first off, I, I said 2018, I meant 2019. But secondly, I'm not sure I want to think the way those guys think. I got to tell you, it seems exhausting. Um, if, I, if, I, if I come through, if I do my job well, you know, it's nice to be responsible for the entirety of what I do and not have to deal with a guy throwing a you know, 90 mile hour sliders or uh, two seamers at me. Um, I'm kind of a little bit in more control, I think. And, and I think also we, we can wrap up talk about the Yankees here just by saying this, because I think it is relevant. I feel like looking back at these last you know 30 minutes or so, it feels like a bit of a downer. Maybe the Yankees are currently 11 and a half games up in the division. <laughs> um, this is, you know, there is still, they've won exactly two thirds of their games right now. Well, as I said earlier, you know, the wins count, they go in your bank. You know, you have that currency that you have. It's a, uh, it, it just, I feel like, and maybe it's just the way social media works. Maybe it's the way the world works. Maybe it's something very particular to New York. I do feel like that's something that you got to kind of remind people of a lot. And again, not to say they get complacent, not to say that they did enough or anything like that, or that it doesn't matter what happens from this point, but they are in the middle of a very special season, even if the last couple weeks haven't been up to the level of the weeks before that. And there's every reason to believe that the team can turn it around. So, you know, we'll believe the Yankees part right there. And just real quick, uh, before I let you go, you know, you've been doing this, uh, in one way or another for WFAN for, I guess, nearly three decades at this point. It's uh, pretty easy for you to come back to some of those memories, those late 90s teams, whatever. What's your favorite thing that you've witnessed since 2009? What's the most exciting thing that you've gotten to be a part of since then? I grew up a baseball fan, right? And you grow up reading about baseball history and you grow up uh, thinking about, you know, all the greats who played the game. Well, all of a sudden there are people in the Hall of Fame who I know Right. Like I witnessed Mariano Rivera and Mike Messina getting into the uh, into the Hall of Fame and then Derek Jeter getting into the Hall of Fame. You know, Joe Torrey's in the Hall of Fame. You know, uh, Jim Cott just got elected to the Hall of Fame. They're, I'm on a first name basis with people in the Hall of Fame. I mean, this is kooky. I grew up as a baseball fan in the middle of Pennsylvania and in a, in a small town. And here I am, you know, talking about the Yankees and covering the Yankees and the biggest radio station and get to see all this history. Like I, I read about baseball history. Now I get to like just go there, be there, and talk to people about it. So if you're talking about simply from a Yankee standpoint since 2009, uh, I, I think you know watching Derek Jeter get to that point of his career, watching Mariano Rivera get to that point of his career, watching Aaron Judge do what he's doing, because I firmly believe that we're going to get to the end of September and start talking about 60 and 61, and that's phenomenal. You know, that's a number. Those are numbers that you, you know, as a baseball fan, you know from from a young age what they mean, and to see someone knocking down those doors. I mean, that's, you know, those are the things that, you know, there's still a level of appreciation I think we have to have for kind of the storybook nature of it, the, the you know, the childhood version of, of what we were looking at, because a lot gets wrapped up in our lives and, and the business of it as we get older. And I, and I, you know, I'd still like to think that there's, there's a certain part of me that is just kind of in awe that, you know, I, I grew up reading about, you know, Hank Aaron and Jackie Robinson and Mickey Mantle and, bad guys like that and now this generation's versions of them i see every day and they're you know like i said it's they're not just a plaque in the hall of fame like i've talked to that person i know that person i'll circle this back here to yankees magazine for one second because it is the yankees magazine podcast you know we've already spoken about it in our last episode but in this month's issue 
we have a story where the cover story, we took Aaron Judge to the museum, to the Yankees Museum. Yeah. And he had never been in there. And he's, you know, holding Ruth's bat and all these things. And, and, and at one point in the story, he kind of looks at a 99 jersey in there. And he's like, you know, what what's that doing there? And obviously, you know, there's some always false humility a little bit with a lot of these guys. And, and certainly Judge, he knows why his 99 jersey's in there. Yeah. But the thing that always I try to remember, and I'm really careful, I think, and I think I do a good job of not getting jaded by this job and not getting jaded by some of the frustrations of first off, working in print media right now, but secondly, just uh, there's a lot of waiting around. There's a lot of times when, you know, nothing's happening. But the things that we're watching Aaron Judge do right now aren't different from the things that, you know, our parents and grandparents watched Babe Ruth and Mickey Mantle do. And, and you have to remind yourself of that sometimes, that, you know, history is being created now just like it was then. The difference is more people are watching, in a sense, and more people get to see it. But... You know, this happens to me all the time, and this isn't me bragging or name dropping. It's just a reality, and, and I, I know you know this. You know, what do you do? And it's like, ah, oh, well, okay, I, I work for the Yankees, blah, blah. Oh, have you ever, you know, spoken to Aaron Judge? And it's like, yeah, I've spoken to Aaron Judge. I've had meals with Aaron Judge. I've sat with his parents. I've, you know, I've been to his college with him. Oh, does he know your name? Like, yes, he knows my name. <laughs> and it's, again, I'm not saying that because, like, look how cool I am. It's just like, I feel like it's important every so often to remind yourself that that is my dad's version of Mickey Mantle, you know? And it's just like, because I happen to be in the right place at the right time, like that's a part of my life. And what you said, I mean, I think I have less of a relationship with Hall of Famers than you do. And I think that next time I cross paths with Derek Jeter, he's not going to remember that my name is John, but I'll definitely remember my face, you know? He's wearing a Michigan shirt, you know what I mean? (laughs) There it is. Well... You know, Sweeney, this is awesome. Thank you for taking the time to do this. You are uh, always uh, just a bright light on the on the beat, and uh, we love having you around. And uh, I thank you for taking the time. Thanks for having me, John. I have listened to all 10,000 episodes of this, and I'm glad to finally be on. It really is amazing. Thank you. I, I felt bad how long it took us to get you on. I know you've been asking to call and having your agent call our people all the time. And, you know, it was just tough. But if you finally, we, we, we had just one day where we had to do it. But, Sweeney, thank you so much. And uh, for everyone else, thanks for listening to another episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast. We are just about done with July here, which means that our August issue is about to come out, and it's a uh, it's a really great one. I can't wait for everyone to get to see it. Obviously, a lot of coverage from the All-Star Game, and we're going to be talking about all that stuff soon. If you're not already a subscriber, I can't imagine what you're waiting for. I mean, Sweeney sitting here. Obviously, he can't imagine what you're waiting for either. But you can fix that. Call 800-GO-YANKS or go to yankees.com slash publications and subscribe right now. You can read all of our long-form content online at yankees.com slash magazine. And, of course, we'd love to hear from you. So send us letters to podcast at yankees.com and let us know what you want us to talk about, all that stuff. Finally, certainly follow us on Twitter at Yanks Magazine and on Facebook at Yankees Magazine. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and go Yanks. Hi, this is Aaron Hicks. For more stories like this one, subscribe by visiting yankees.com slash publications or by calling 800-GO-YANKS.